Hi, it's Rob here, and I'm here with Spencer Lodge. You're Spencer, we, we've spoken at the same event. We have indeed. Yeah, and uh, now we're here. <laughs> so Spencer has a, a really good podcast called the Spencer Lodge Podcast. I do my thing on the Disruptive Entrepreneur. We thought it'd be cool if we just have some fun, have a chat, create some content, some work, maybe a bit of art, maybe a rant, maybe a discussion, maybe reveal a few things. Rants and discussions, I'm pretty sure yeah. we can do. Yeah. Not, I've not been described as that before. Oh. Am I artistic? I don't know. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to let you lead the show. Yeah, no worries. Um, we've got a couple of Zoom H1s, so we're uber professional today. Uh, and um, Kieran, if anyone wants to ask us any questions, yeah. um, we don't really have a script for this one. We're just yeah. going to have some fun and see where it goes. And yeah. How's your podcast going, by the way? I'm, uh, I'm loving it. Okay, the more the more interesting people I find, I love. I do a Facebook Live on a Sunday night, and so that's when I that's when I'm ranting to camera and teaching people stuff. Yeah. So that's one episode, and then the alternative episode is when I grab someone and learn about their story. Right. But I'm generally quite an, uh, an inquisitive person anyway. I'm quite nosy, as my mum would say, and so um, I don't script or structure any of it. It's just like I try and learn about people and what their journey's been like and the challenges they've faced and like some of the stuff I told you a while ago. So yeah, yeah it's good, but I love it though. Do you mm. love doing it? Yeah. Like, well, I wouldn't do nearly 500 episodes if it was a yeah. labour of love. Yeah, I mean, I was talking on stage about the fact that sometimes people think their podcast has to be in a niche or has to be, you know, of a certain type or style. I interviewed John Barnes because I'm a Liverpool fan and he's my, one of my heroes. And you'd say, mm, does that fit on a business podcast? Don't really care. Well, because because he's my fan. Yeah. There you go. What, what, and, and you're allowed to do what you want on your podcast surely if you if you if you're allowed to do anything anywhere then it's got to be on your of own course podcast, yeah it? yeah yeah it's good how it's uncensored isn't it i think people now trust podcast content especially if it's not chopped every 10 seconds but maybe they don't test trust soundbitey stuff media stuff stuff in the newspaper stuff you know on on radio and written that's just down into soundbites People trust podcasts because you can have an honest conversation. Yeah, I agree. You you recently have changed the layout of your studio setup and whatnot. There's the big screens behind mm. you and whatnot. And I can see yeah. that you and you've got a guest online there sat behind you. And then I look at someone like, I don't know, Impact Theory with Tom Billio and see see the way that he's laid that out for his podcast. And I haven't quite got to that point yet because there's part of me that's resisting that because of the authenticity I want to keep of it just being like right this bloody day, yes. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sitting down having a chat. Yeah. Did it change how you thought about what you were doing or any of the content you were producing when you when you kind of laid your set up set up differently? I, I'm more like you in that I like to just go with where you're at and what you've got and how it feels. And I think good content is of the now and of the moment. Um, like my voice is gone. I've just come off stage. I'm still kind of a bit a bit buzzing. I'm a bit like star stars in my eyes, rabbit in the headlights, and and I, I think that creates a moment and an energy. But I like my team to create the stuff around me. Mm -hmm. So the, what the studio is great for is if anyone wants to interview me for a podcast, but, you, you know, maybe they're not such a big host that I would travel to America to go to them, they mm -hmm. can just come to the studio. Yeah. So I can say yes now to more podcast guests. Like at least four people came up to me after my talk and said, oh, can I be on your podcast? Yeah, come to the studio and Peter, no, no, no worries, we'll do it. It's all set up. They can sit down. We've got the whole setup. You press play. I'll live it because I like just, we're doing six pieces of content a day now. My Facebook page was just up and it's all. So someone could have had a podcast. They've got one episode. They get me on the second. Yeah. They've got 10 listeners. Sod it. I'll give them reach to 140 odd thousand of my viewers. Um, so I think that there's nice, that's a nice way for me to give. 
But um, what the studio does is gives you a base. Uh, and if you want to then create more profess professional edited content, you can. But even if you have like a 50 grand studio like we do, with including the equipment, um, if you have, I interviewed the CEO of Netflix and you have a big screen and the internet slightly goes on your Skype, it's still sh <laughs> it doesn't really make any difference. So the studio is good when you're in studio. Now, someone like Tom Bilyeu or Brian Rose, you know, has got London Real. They've yeah. obviously been podcasting for so long. I think when you've been podcasting long enough and you've made good money out of it and you realize the benefit of it, then you create a studio environment. So people will go to Tom or they'll go to London Real because there's a, a famous studio that, you know, they've been doing this for, what, seven or ten years. I reckon you'll probably get there. Who was your, when you go back to, I mean, you're five years, I'm, I'm one and a half, no, 14 months. When you go back, who, who was that guest that you really wanted that you got that gave you the opportunity to leverage a bit on the back of, the back of their success to be able to get access to some other people? Probably the first game-changing guest was David Icke because okay. we got him very early and I was really pleased we got him because he's so controversial and my mm. podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur and yeah. I think he's disruptive. And also... I wanted to see if he's an entrepreneur, if he thinks he's an entrepreneur. And with all the media attention he's had and all the followers, surely you've got to be monetizing that. And if you're not, that's going to make good content. Yeah. Because actually his son does most of the monetization. So that was interesting for me to learn. Uh, but I mean, he must have been in our first 10 guests. I mean, every, I said on the stage, the first video we did of him got 10 times more views than the podcast got listens because my podcast yeah. was fairly young. 250,000 straight away. Then you take a, an edit of that video, you post it, 250,000 views, which is a lot for my channel. Yeah. So you could like, like the matrix, you could take a bit out of the bit, out of the bit, out of the bit, and they're all getting 250,000 views. Um, so that was the first one that was like, whoa, I get this. I get that getting a guest is not just about the art. It's also about the reach, the impact, the controversy, the views, because you, you have to be honest, um, we all want to grow our podcast. Mm. So if we can get a guest on the podcast that can give us more reach. I used to think that was a bit like selling out. Mm. But now I just think it's like creating a good piece of work and, and, and doing a, a thousand editions of it and making a bit of money off a good piece of art instead of just having the original. Have you ever made episodes of people that you thought they're just too boring? And you thought, I can't Once. Produce it. Once. Once. And I'm not going to say the name because no. I like, like, um, that just wouldn't be fair. But the irony was she was a comedy coach. And she wasn't funny at all. And I paid her to do some comedy training for um, my main speakers. And she didn't go down very well. And then, so I was like, well, you know, how do you teach people to be funny? Well, you kind of got to be on my course for that. I can't tell you now on a, on a podcast. Well, what are you on the podcast for then? And, um, and she was very defensive. And I told her that when I started speaking, I'd watch a load of comedians. Yeah. And I'd borrow little gags from them. And before I even finished, she said, that's, that's, you're thieving their work. You're, you're ripping them off. I didn't even finish to say I'd borrow their gags and their timing and change it to fit my speaking because I was speaking about property back then. She said, you know, that's theft. Um, and she, so, yeah, I, I got to, I just dragged through it and I thought, I was already decided halfway through this, this is not going live. But every other podcast has gone. Even ones I've been a bit like. Have you? See, sometimes I do them and it's not great in my mind, but I have feedback from people going, oh, that was the best one you ever did. And I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, really? Yeah. I think 95% of the time, I think that your listeners should own your work, not you. Yeah. And you're quite, you, me, us, we're quite myopic in that we have a perception of what good work is and good content is based on what we want, but we're not our listener. Um, and yeah, some of my maybe 
because you've also got the experience of the interview. So you're not just thinking of the content. You're thinking of, did I enjoy the interview? Yeah. So I've loved some interviews, maybe content not so great. I've maybe not. I hated the interview Dorian Yates because he, 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 I was just nervous. And he's obviously a big freaking dude. And he is dark. His, his soul, his energy is quite dark. You get there and you go to his gym and it's, a, it's just weights. Everyone It's a massive open hall and there's noise. And he welcomes you, but he doesn't really smile. And he's called the dark shadow. And, you know, and like, I just, I was, I, it was, I was. As an interview, <laughs> but people love the content. Is it funny? Yeah, but 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 the thing is, they're not looking at me. They don't really care. They look, like when you're interviewing someone, it's it's Dorian Yates. It's not Rob Moore. Yeah, absolutely. So I hate that. I just I almost wish I could take that off the planet. Um, but I don't own that work anymore. The people who listen and watch own that work. What do you think of Grant and Elena? Um, I I think Grant's awesome. Um, I become good friends with Grant. So I know him better than a lot of people who judge him. I think he's a big thinker. Um, his tenex conference this year was massive. I have no idea how much money he made because those speakers he got in looked really expensive. Um, but the one he did last year didn't go so well, but he got back on the horse and he did it again. I think a lot of people, some of his followers are a bit like, yeah, 10x, 10x everything. And you have to be careful when you start in business, you can't 10x everything. And I think sometimes they take his work a bit too literally. I know the guy, I've had him speak on my stages. Uh, good friends with him. He watches me on my lives. He's, he sends me Skype saying, love you. He, he Instagram messages me and I, and I really like him. Um, Elena, I've interviewed as well. Mm -hmm. And I like her. Um, I think she's got spirit. I think to, 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 cap, to captivate a man like that, I think you've got to have something about yeah, oh, you. Yeah, yeah. I think some people's criticism of her would be, well, you've just leveraged Grant's brand. Well, so what? Uh, you know, if I could leverage someone's brand, I would. Why wouldn't you? So, um, and, and, you know, now, now there's a big movement for female speakers and there's a big need for female speakers and that's perfect timing for Elena. And I, I felt we got on really well when I interviewed her and she, you know, both of those are really nice behind the camera. They're charming. Anywhere Grant goes, you have a good crack with him. Good crack everywhere. And sometimes I'm like, man, you can get a bit serious. I, I love him and think he's great. You know, I've got to know him a bit as well and spent some time with him. And what do you think of him? I am. Um, well, I'll tell you what I did because I, I, I don't talk to people about this. So I want to share something with you that I won't have shared yet. Do it. So I went to, um, uh, I, I asked him quite a bit off, off camera about Scientology. And so, and it, we were having dinner and he was like, stop effing asking me questions, man. Just go there and find out. Yeah. And, and um, how did, what did you think about that? Or how did that make you feel? I went there. Yeah. So I went to the Church of Scientology in London. Right. And uh, it's near St. Paul's Cathedral, believe yeah. it or not. And I went in there. And it was um, an epic, epic place. Really? Genuinely. Are you converted? No, 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 no. no, no. I haven't done, done anything yet. But I went, I spent the day You're there. You're a voyeur. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, what I'm fascinated about is about the amount of people out there, or the amount of content out there on, on social media that's negative about Scientology. Mm. Yet when you look at how, how much money uh, is being invested in there by various donators, yeah. Um, and 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 the, the the size of the facilities they've got, and, and the fact that it's growing at the rate it's growing, there's there's clearly something in there. There's mm. something in there that's right for the people that buy into that. Yeah. And so I went in there objectively to right. try and try and get an understanding, and I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And 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 wow. I posted I posted a picture on Instagram of the of the the low what do you call it the sign outside. Yeah. Oh man. Got loads of. Shit. 
abuse, bet. the abuse. Yeah. Oh, you're going to come back spending 100 grand. They're going to blackmail you and bribe you. <laughs> and you know, then you're going to say you're clear after being through this fake auditing stuff and da 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 da. I'm like, and it, I was like, at first, I wanted to go back and like argue. And then I just thought, you ain't going to convince those people anyway. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, that was that was something that I mean I've I've got lots of time for the for guy has done as well as he's done. I mean this would be simple. It's a car salesman. Yeah. That worked hard, realized that social media could be a tool that he could use, understood how to work a crowd. He's definitely a consummate salesman. Even when you're behind closed doors, he's you know, like I wouldn't say selling you, he's just always on the upside, upside, upside. So I definitely agree with that. And yet, on this Scientology thing, I never talk about religion because I don't give a what someone's religion is. I do not judge them based on their religion. I judge them based on who they are. I, I think religion, in fact, I've, done, I've never talked about religion. So maybe we should have a chat. I've never <laughs> talked about it. I think you believe what you like. Yeah. And whatever gives you the faith to get through the day and whatever you believe in, I'm all in. Um, and if you want to pitch me a bit, because it's good, you can pitch me a bit. Just don't over pitch me. Yeah, yeah. But that would be the same in a car salesman or anything else. So... You know, because we're all allowed to pitch always I pitch people in personal development and getting a therapist. So why can't someone pitch me a bit about Scientology or whatever? Pitch me a bit. Don't pitch me too much. Yeah, about their faith, yeah. Um, but I, no, no. I like your faith is your faith. And hats off to you. And I, for pe people who really judge people um, for their religion, not for who they are as a person, I think they're missing who the person is. So I don't, I don't care what faith grants it is I, I care about my experience with him and i tell you something that i is pervasive on social media i don't like it everyone's judging everyone mm -hmm. oh they're like this they're like that oh this influence of this they're like this they're like that. i don't know the way to do that judge someone when you've met them and you've spent yeah. a few hours with them because anyone can say something on social media like we've seen each other online and we hadn't actually properly met till no, today, today yeah. and so that's when we can judge are we going to get on don't judge someone from a post or don't judge someone from afar you don't know who they are or what they're going through and that i think if we all didn't judge people until we spent a few hours with them i think the world would be a lot better place do you think you spend much time focusing on gratitude i try my best is i mean something you struggle with the thing is i'm just busy and fast so i struggle with stopping to think about anything because that's just a state, I'm 41, my businesses are at a stage where they're really expanding. Everything's sort of, the foundations have been built for me for 15 years now and everything's sort of expanding. I wouldn't say it's exploding, but it's like, uh, and so I'm juggling, writing loads of books, doing loads of podcasts, speeches, my companies, my properties. So my problem is not time because I called the audience out on that. I've got the time. It's taking the time. I feel gratitude a lot but I need to sit down and breathe it in a bit more. So I do do gratitude every evening before I go to bed. Um, I sleep really well. So the problem is I'm really grateful for and, and And then I'm gone. I'd like to stay up for 10 minutes each night so I can actually get some of these incantations in there. Um, but I felt gratitude in the audience. I felt yeah. gratitude meeting you, you know, after I knew we were, our paths were going to cross. We've got some mutual friends. So I felt Matt for you know, inviting me to speak. I mean, Matt said he thought I was the smartest guy he's met. I mean, that doesn't, that sounds weird, but I felt really grateful for that. So I feel it because I'm a softie. I could practice it more, but yeah. I think we all could. But I think if you feel it, you're halfway there, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. Definitely, definitely. Yeah? I struggle with it. I, I always... What, um, because you're always looking for more? Or yeah, yeah. Because, do you feel like you're not good enough or do you just feel like you need a next level? Um, yeah, I feel... I, 
I always look at what I've done and I never look at that and say, well done to myself for what I've done. I'm always like, yeah, okay, but I'm, yeah. I'm heading in that direction. The entrepreneur's so, curse. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Very much so. Now, um, I, I bumped into a really old friend of mine and had lunch with him about four weeks ago. And he follows both of us on social media. And he'd okay. seen on LinkedIn, I think it was, or Facebook, whenever it was, you and I had, had a brief the, the conversation, just a couple of messages. Yeah. And he's like, you know Rob Moore. And I'm like, well, no, I don't actually know Rob Moore. I guess what well, I know Rob Moore's business partner and I've known him for years. Yeah. What's his name? Are you talking about Gary Das? No, 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 no. It's oh, like, you're talking about my business partner? Your business partner. Oh, okay. Mark Homer. Okay, my business partner. So yeah. Mike Bathard is the guy. Okay, fine. And he knows Mark yeah. Homer from like 25 years. Right. Like, so, yeah. he, and he, he told me about how you and Mark Homer first got together. Yeah. You were going through it. Was, it was a struggle for you in those days, yeah? Yeah, I was, I was an artist finding my way along, not making any money at all, not selling virtually anything. Bitter about the world, hated everyone, loved Rage Against the Machine, but hated authority, hated capitalism, hated business people, hated successful people. I was just, I don't know why, I was angry. Um, but also I bottled it all in because I, I didn't like conflict either. Because I don't really, I mean, oh, wow. I've learned, I know exactly. So an angry person who doesn't like conflict, that's a confused individual. Because <laughs> if you're angry and you like conflict, then you it's just right. have conflict with everyone <laughs> and, you, right, and yeah. you love a scrap. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, so I was just, I was 25, 26, just, just a bit lost, if I'm honest, Spencer. And um, my dad always raised me to be an entrepreneur. He always made me believe I could be something. He always used to say, son, you know, just believe in yourself. Um, but I got lost. I think you know, a lot. it's quite common for people to get lost. I got into a fair bit of debt. I hated myself. Yeah. No, you were so this was 26. Dark place. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I probably wasn't at the... I wasn't thinking of suicide. Mm. Hmm. Okay. I, I, I tell you what, because I'm a person that wants to be noticed, liked, admired, respected or whatever, I would often fantasise, how do you, you feel if I was gone? So in my mind, I'd go, well, you'd fucking be sorry if I wasn't here. How'd you feel if I was gone? And sometimes it was like I'd want to inflict the pain on them by yeah. being gone myself. It was weird. All the, you know, like when you're a kid and you go, I'm going to run away. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I was still doing that when I was 26, you know, to, to ex-girlfriends or to, you know, friends who I fell out with or whatever. It was, it was really weird. It was like I needed to inflict pain on myself to inflict pain on you. But you've spoken recently about therapy, okay? And mm. whether it's counselling therapy or someone to talk to or whatever. whatever I just call it therapy, yeah. yeah. Whatever the word is. Is that because there was, there, was, there was essentially unfinished issues that you'd been carrying from back then? Or do you think you went into it thinking, do you know what? Maybe it's a good thing I'm going to experiment with it. What, what was your kind of like mindset around? I that? think it was both. I mean, I, I believe that we all have unfinished issues, um, and the reason being is I have a mentor, John Demartini. He's a genius. I know John. Yeah, yeah, he is a genius. And um, I remember sitting with him talking about my son, who was you know six months away from being born, telling him how excited I was. I was going to teach him all this cool stuff that I've learned over the last sort of ten years, and he just chuckled away in a very warm but slightly condescending way. <laughs> And basically said, uh, your, t your son will teach you as much as you teach your son. I didn't really get him because I thought a father's job is to teach and really? raise a son. But he said, your son will teach you equally what you teach him. And then he said to me about two years after that, um, he said that nothing that you do when you raise your children is wrong. 
you should listen to this. <laughs> um, uh, that's Spencer's daughter over there. But but nothing, everything that you do for your child is a gift and nothing that you do towards your child when you're raising them is wrong. And, I, and I, he told me that after a point where I got quite angry with my son and we fell out and I felt like the worst parent in the world. But I then went and downloaded about 30 parenting books and I listened to them all. And so I could hear John in my head because I didn't talk to him straight about that, but I could hear him saying, there you go. You wouldn't have gone and downloaded those 30 parenting books and listened to them all and tried to be a better parent had you not had that conflict with your son. So therefore, because I can now listen to John in my head without him needing to be there because I know him so well because I followed most of his work. Um, so back to the issue. So therefore, I think we're, we're all f***ed up and we've all got unresolved issues. But um, and, and, and if I try and fix them over here, I just moved unresolved issues over here. Yeah. You know, if I if I. If I care too much about what people think, that makes me weak, vulnerable, it makes me needy. If I don't care at all what people think, that makes me a dictator, that makes me, um, you know, cold, uncompassionate. So I, 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 I actually sought out therapy because I'd, I'd, I've got mentors, I've got coaches, I've been in masterminds, I'd read loads of books, I'd listened to a load of podcasts and audio books and I'd gobbled up a load of stuff and I got to 40 and I had the best year of my life on the outside with all the metrics but on the inside I felt really lonely and I felt like I all the big things in my life I'm alone and I'm trying to solve myself and who's there helping me and for a while I was like who's helping me and I was saying this in my head and I was reaching out to some of my close people who's helping me I wasn't going can you help me I was going who's helping me and they, they didn't really um, what's, whoa, what's, are you all right Rob whoa, whoa. and then I thought wait a minute I just should just ask um, and I thought, well, I've asked everyone else and I don't want to talk to my business partner about it not because he'll try and fix it in a business sense. I don't want to talk to my wife about it because she might judge me on a relationship sense. Um, I don't want to talk about people who will just overly support me. Um, and I don't want to talk to people who might try and railroad and overly challenge me. So I thought, well, I've, the only thing I haven't tried is therapy. So, um, and I'm a real tester. So um, in, I'll just, if, if, like, if I wanted to get a mentor, I'd go online. I'd research all the billionaires. I'd find all of them that have got books and podcasts and courses. I'd spend three months gobbling them all up. I'd get rid of most except five. And then I'd try them all. And then I'd settle with two. Yeah. And no one's ever done that with therapy and no one's ever mentioned it. But I just went online, lined up a load of therapists in Peterborough, just freaking tried them all. Gave them all a session. This one interrupted every five minutes. You're gone. This one tried to fix me too quickly. This one was like, well, why don't you just get your wife to put on some lingerie and send her some flowers every now and again? Well, thanks for the advice. Um, <laughs> no, my shit is way deeper than that. Advice, yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, there's 50 quid. Yeah, yeah. And then about the fourth one, I think I tried. Um, I settled on them. We've been having sessions every week, but we missed the odd one. And those first three, when you went through those first three and they didn't work, were you starting to judge at that moment, thinking, oh, maybe this is not going to work? No. Or did you just keep optimistic about uh, yeah, the right one? Yeah, exactly. I just figured, well, you know, you're a certain type of therapist, you're a certain type of therapist. So no, I'll, I'll just keep trying until I find one. I mean, I did think therapist, Peterborough, £45 a session, you know, like you get what you pay for. Am I not going to find anyone of quality? I sort of I said to my wife, look, I want to find someone who's dealt with these very fast overthinking, obsessive business people. And she's like, well, a lot of them aren't going to have had those kind of clients. So just, you know, maybe don't worry about it too much. And I got a bit stuck in that mindset. But actually, I've got mentors and coaches and all that sort of stuff for that. So it's the who am I? I know who I am in business. I know what my podcast is about. I know my business. I know I'm going to be doing that for the rest of my life. I know that. But 
the, the child in me, the lost, lonely kid, you know, who didn't fit in, the social awkward, I'm a bit awkward socially. Um, he doesn't quite know who he is yet and he's still finding his way. It's really interesting. I have this Man, this is so uncanny. <laughs> I, I kid you not. Yeah. I was uh, I was with one of Marissa Pierce people last night. Right, yeah. In Covent Garden at 10.30 last night. There you go, yeah. And everything you're describing, without any question, is exactly... I, I, I feel in business that it's the most lonely place that I've ever been. I know what to do, so structurally like you it's quite easy to compartmentalize but the the loneliness in me is just it, it's it's epic in its proportion yeah and so as you try and describe mm. that just now and you know what this is the thing people don't get and you hear this in suicide you can be lonely around a load of people and no one notices yes and you know a lot of people who've had friends who've um, committed suicide. I'm interviewing um, probably more, it'll be more conversational because he's like that, but Dapper Laughs, he's a huge comedian and he's had friends who've committed suicide and um, he said the same thing. He said, no one knew, no one said anything. Um, but that's what said Caroline Flack, I think she sent the person who was with her out to go down the shop and she hung herself while she was out. McQueen just found a you know quiet place and, and hung himself. So you don't have to be around people um, to think, not I, feel alone. I think the, the, the uninitiated or uneducated are actually that, that they think that person needs to be really, really depressed for that to happen. But the people that are really, really depressed haven't got the energy to go and do it. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, I'd not thought of it like that, but that's a good point. It's in such a dark place that they just haven't got the willpower. Yeah. And so you need to be at a different stage, a different level where the, the outside, no, okay, the outside knows it's not great. Okay, but they don't think it's that severe. Yeah. Because I, I, I remember trying to do it once. Really? Yeah. So, she's going to hear it, but uh, there was a- there you, was a, you brought it up. <laughs> so there was, a, there was a time in 2012 where I built a company with two other people. We spent um, uh, this part of 14, 15 years doing it. And uh, huge success in the business, well, still is a huge success. And, and I basically started to become a bit of a terrorist within my own business. I started to um, get bored and start, you know, causing trouble because I got bored and made right. mistakes. Anyway, we parted ways and it went into a very, you know, a year's worth of gardening leave. Right. Like when I agreed to it, I'm like, oh, these yeah. people over the years I've not seen, yeah. I can spend time with and do this. And that lasted four or five weeks. And, then I, and everyone was obviously getting on with their lives and going to work every day. Yeah. And so it just became darker and darker and darker and darker. Until wow. Until I got to a point and I was like, and this is how I looked at it. The kids have got enough money for their life. Okay, their stepfather's a nice guy. My ex-wife's okay, so she's a good mum. So they're all like, they don't need me. Because what I'm thinking is nobody needs me. And because nobody needs me, what value am I? What, what, what mm. do I bring? And so, and I just, that was on repeat. Wow. Over and over again in my head. And I drove back to the UK and my dad was at my house. My dad's never at my house. He lives in Newcastle. Yeah. And he was at my house. And then um, I got there and he was in my house. And I was like, how'd you get in? So the housekeeper let me in. He goes, go and have a shower. You just got off a plane. I'll make you a sandwich and uh, I, I want to take you to meet someone, a friend of mine. And we were in the, the house is not far from Stansted Airport. And he drove me to Chelmsford to the Priory. And he introduced me to the psychiatrist and I stayed there for four days. Right. So and, he just, and, and he just knew. The psychiatrist just, my dad, how my dad knows, I don't know. Mm. But the psychiatrist, I had that and two other things happened to me, but the psychiatrist was the one that said, the biggest damage you're going to cause by doing any of this, period, to your children 
And the mm. moment he got that into my head, which probably took him an afternoon, then everything changed. I didn't mm. recover, but everything changed because he, he taught me to understand that they still needed me. Yeah. What were the other two things that were going on in your life? So at my time? partner at the time left me. Yeah. Okay. A, a couple of days after, and then I'd had spinal surgery, and the operation had failed, and I needed it again. And I'd been on morphine for, for the best part of a year by then. Yeah. I was in agony, and so an MRI come back. They said you need it. So these three things that just completely wiped me out, and it just took me to, it just took me into a horrible, horrible place. And I've never been there since. Mm. But um, it, it, and, and I wasn't, I wasn't. You wouldn't have known. If, I, if I'd have met you, I'd have been church here for yeah. with you. Had you planned it? Yeah. You, what you were going to do? Yeah. What was it? I'd rather not say right now, but yeah, I'd planned it. <laughs> yeah. It's your choice? Yeah. It was, uh, it, so you've gone over it in your mind. Oh, yeah. Did it. you have a time? Yeah, I, oh, it was all organised. I'd flown home to say goodbye to the girls. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I had it all planned in my mind. Mm. And, it so, wasn't, and it wasn't, oh, woe is me, woe is me. It was, I literally, all I was saying to myself every day on repeat is, nobody needs me. I'm, I'm of no value on this planet. I'm of no value to anyone. Nobody's going to miss me. Mm. And it was just, no one's going to miss me. What do they need me for? Yeah. Rather than anything else. And, and it's just a story that was on repeat. I kept selling it to myself over and over and over again. And, it, it was, and, I, and I believed it through and through. Mm. And it didn't matter who it was. And I'm, 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 I'm a little bit uncomfortable socially as well. So um, Danielle, my business partner, was getting married. And that was a really important time for her. I couldn't go to the wedding. Right. I couldn't face yeah. people. Yeah, I left at nine o'clock. I paid to go up to do a speaking gig. And I left before the after dinner speaker because I'd just been around talking to people. And I just felt really, oh, I was tired, but I felt socially uncomfortable. I get anxious in those situations. Yeah, like I those do. those people in there, being really honest, yeah. and everyone wants to talk to you. Yeah. I I'm polite. I, yeah, I, love, yeah. I love the polite yeah. bit, but it's like, yeah. Mm. So there's a couple of things. Um, so I've never thought about it like this, but you've, you saying it has got me thinking about this, and that is um, the people needing you. So um, I love having clients. I love having followers. I love having, you know, like when Matt said he thought I was the smartest guy in the mastermind. I love, and I think it's because there's people who get value out of me. And when I was a kid and I was fat and I was overweight and I was the fattest kid in school. If you're the second fattest kid in school, it really doesn't matter because no one takes the piss out of the second fattest kid in school. They take their piss out of the fattest kid in school. Yeah. Um, and I felt like no one noticed or liked or wanted or needed me. I mean, there were other things like what they would say about me and always me feeling like I was the butt of all their jokes. But, um, you know, you, you don't get with the girls because you're fat and you're not getting picked for the sports because you're fat. And yeah, I think my, my lowest times have been when I can't add value. I, there's, there's, I like having people who, because sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm alone, I need some help here. But then I also like the fact that I'm in the position where I can solve the problem. Something that people go, oh, that, Rob, that was good. And I can imagine sitting here listening to you that when you lose all that and you have no purpose, you know, when people retire, they die quite quickly mm -hmm. often. You know, when people sell businesses, I'm, I'm good friends with Neville Wright. So Kitty Care is a massive business. He said the worst day of his life was the day after he sold his company. And that, that story of people who've got had a hundred million in the pocket. Dana White said the same thing. Yeah, there you go. Because, because what have you got left after that? And so it's probably good to plan something after that. The next thing you said. So I am, um, I've had on my podcast and she's become a, a good friend. She's lovely. 
um, probably one of the best hostage negotiators and suicide preventers in the whole country that there's ever been. And it's not something you can brag about. And if you saw her, you would never know. And that's part of the reason why, because she's so um, non-confrontational and um, just you just there's warmth and she, she wouldn't stand out in a crowd, but she saved so many people from suicide and she saved so many deaths and stuff like that. Um, and she said people really, really, really struggle in these three areas of their life that are all gone wrong. And you had the three. So if your back had been fine, you wouldn't have been on morphine. That might have just been that extra 20% juice you needed just to keep going. Mm -hmm. But but so, and I, I wanted, because I've asked someone who's saved so many people from suicide, I just want to get that message out there. If you're struggling in a few areas, just go fix one real quick. Mm -hmm. So I speak to entrepreneurs and they're really struggling, they're depressed and their relationship's not going or whatever. Go make some quick money. Oh, but money's not everything. Mm -hmm. Just go and put... Pick up the phone and do 50 sales calls in the next five days and call me back and put 25 grand in the bank and just get it done. As long as they can, you know, if yeah, they started yeah. their business, they can't. Um, and, you know, like, because a, yeah. a lot of people talk about money not being important. And I, I speak to people who are struggling. I say, how would you feel with an extra 25 grand a month? And they're like, I feel great. <laughs> so it's so a so one thing immediately lifts everything, everything else. else. So, so it's, it's interesting, interesting you're saying about those three things. things. It's, it's almost like, uh, predictable. Like if you take your three main areas of your life and they're all ruined, that is hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. But everyone could probably deal with one. Yeah. Like if you've got a beautiful marriage and a beautiful family and you're a bit skinny, well, you're all right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it comes back to the whole gratitude thing. Is like at that time I was I was looking. It was like, what have I got to be happy about? Yeah. There's nothing. Even though there was everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I look, and I look back now after all these years and I look at the, the, what happened at the time and it was the right thing. I caused the problem, but yeah. I'm in a much better place than I, than I would have been had I stayed there anyway. Mm. And uh, I'm, in, I'm in a much better relationship, you know, and, uh, and so there's lots of positives that have come from it. But yeah. You never see that at the time. So, and so, so when it comes to uh, therapy, I think men in particular, they, they kind of resist it more than they should mm. and I think the, the fact that you've been sharing this online and you've been talking about the fact that you've been doing it I think that's really important yeah because it, it doesn't matter you know how, how severe it is it's like sometimes we just need to find someone outside of our like you explained you know the wife the, the colleagues all that yeah. outside of that environment that can hear you like can really hear you and be uh, unobjective about yeah. anything they give back there's practical stuff as well as emotional stuff when was the last time anyone watching or listening sat down and was able to speak their mind and their feelings for one hour without being interrupted? No one. Never. No one. Never. Because you know when you talk to people, and we're all like it, it's not a criticism, it's just people, but most people when they're listening, they're actually waiting to talk. And you know, you, you might just start to open up, you're 10 minutes in and someone's listening and then they go, oh yeah, and then they take the conversation over there. And like, you don't know what's going on deeper, deeper, deeper down there. There's some, being a human being is very freaking confusing because I believe that everything exists in a paradox. The great thing about you is the worst thing about you. Your strength is your weakness. Your weakness is your strength. There, isn't, there is no all good or bad. There is only um, equally balanced good and bad and upside and downside. And I'll, what is right and what is wrong? Well, nothing is right and nothing is wrong. Everything is just a perception. It's confusing to be a human being. And you've got to process and deal with all these things. And then you get challenges and then you've got expectations. So, you know, entrepreneurs, they have high expectations. And that's why there's a lot of pain and suffering with entrepreneurs because their expectations are high. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you were stoic, you expect nothing and everything is a surprise. So you've got all this shit going on and you want to be successful and you want to prove people wrong. 
and yet you've never sat down and just talked about how it all feels. So on a practical level, to have someone who will just listen and let you go. And like often in therapy, I talk about this stuff, like, whoa, where did that come from? And I'm cool with that. Mm. But yeah, I think I'm asking for help is not very male. Um, and ask, especially not northern male. Ooh. And my dad was from, he's but well, worse, he is. My dad is a, a strong, hard northern male whose mum died when he was two. How do you even process what emotions are when your mum died when you were two? And his dad didn't know how to raise him. How would you? Mm. Well, how would I have no clue how to raise my kids without my wife? And then so he really brought, he brought in a, um, he got married, remarried, but only really to have a mother, my dad and the other three kids. So really his surrogate family were his siblings. Mm -hmm. They all died way before my dad. So my dad's losing everyone he loves really early. Wow. And um, there was no talking about emotions. There was no, you know, you just feared getting hit. Mm -hmm. In lots of cultures, especially like in Asian culture, you don't talk about your problems and your emotions. You just sort it out. And so everything just gets bold. And that, my, my dad had a massive nervous breakdown when he was in his, um, just before his late 50s, publicly, and um, got diagnosed bipolar. Big time extreme. Like, my dad's emotions are so extreme. It's takes, he's heavily on, it's on huge, strong drugs just to keep his mood stabilized. Really? Um, and he's, he's, that's been on and off for 15 years. And I'm convinced a lot of it was because he took the weight of the world on himself. He never showed any vulnerability or emotion to me. I don't know, I can't speak about my mum, can I? Because I didn't see the closed doors. And he had this big sense of pride and wanting to raise us and give us a good life. And he, I don't ever remember him any. He never asked me for any help, ever. And, 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 and I sort of learned in my, the good thing that business teaches you, if you Smart business teaches you, you don't learn from your own mistakes, you learn from everyone else's. And you get around smart business people and you learn from them. And that was like, that was also therapy to me because it taught me how to ask for help. Because if I can ask you for some marketing tips, mm -hmm. okay, that's the first step, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. then I can say, I'm struggling. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm welling up, I don't know why. Can we just have a chat? Because step one is help me with my marketing. So business taught me to ask for help. But last year I hit a wall because I struggle to ask people for help where they perceived I have together. So I could ask you for help on anything as long as you didn't think I had together on it. Mm -hmm. So that I, 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 I found my one true weakness mm -hmm. and that's pride and ego and fear and everything. But I pride myself. I could ask you, tell me about the, the, this tripod. Talk to me about fitness. Kieran was a bodybuilding world champion. Talk to me about brand and design. And I'm like, the, I'm the greatest student. But I won't ask you for help about podcasting because I'm, I'm a good podcaster. So, you know, I know together, even if. And so I started to suffer because there were these quite a few areas in business where it was like, oh, yeah, Rob knows marketing. Rob's the best marketer in, in the training business in the UK. Oh, Rob's a great podcaster. Rob knows all that. And so I stopped asking for help. And then I struggled on my own. And then I thought, well, the only one that won't, the only person that won't judge me is a therapist. And of course, I realized it was nothing about business or anything else. It was all about, I'm a young kid who doesn't want to get rejected and wants to be liked and admired and noticed and respected and not seen as fat and weak and useless.
Did, uh, clearly from that story, you, you had bullies when you were younger as well. Well, here's the thing. I Honestly, not really. Uh, okay. uh, it was always the fear of... Like, I'll give you an example. I was, we were in junior school. We were in the final year, about to go up to senior school. And so the year before, you had good relationship with the guys the year above you. I always got on well with the guys above me. But then they went to senior school, and we're in junior school. And so they would come to us and say, when you get into senior school in the first year, I'm going to kick the you fat. And I never really got properly beaten up. I got all the usual that you get in boarding school. I got a good wedgie, you know, I know how that feels. <laughs> I probably quite enjoyed it. You know? <laughs> um, and I got all that, but no more than anyone else, I found coping strategies. I got I, I, I learned how to be liked. And as a fat kid, you needed that. So I found coping strategies. Was yeah. that with, with, with quick wit, sense of humour and stuff? It, was, it was being nice to everyone, okay. being like non-confrontational, getting on with all the groups in the crowd. Really amiable. Yeah, exactly, but, but weak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they'd call me names a lot, and they'd call me names behind my back a lot, but probably nowhere near. I'd pictured in my head, I'm going to get kicked out of me, I'm going to be embarrassed, exposed. They're all talking about me all the time. You know, they had a little, they had a little look, they're talking about me. Um, yeah. So it, it was present, but it was way more psychological, and I, I made it up in my head. Like the, 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 thing, the two things I hated at school the most, the most, was swimming and um, games. I loved games, but afterwards you had to all go in the showers together, and I hated it. And I tried to avoid it at, at all costs. And like, like when we used to go swimming, used to wear those tiny blue speedos. They should be illegal they, they just give kids some baggy shorts you know they should be illegal definitely be illegal and like i'm there th i'm there thinking everyone's looking at my rolls of fat and you know like the bigger you are the smaller your pants and your you know your, your crotch looks none of those kids were probably even looking at me they've got their own problems they've got spots they've got stuff happening at home some of my friends had parents who were getting divorced they've all got their own problems they don't give a f about a fat kid but not in my head. I was just obsessed with it. Um, so I had this really weird relationship with sport because I loved it, but all my pain was associated to it as well. Um, and I actually met a school friend um, that went to the early school about three years ago. I hadn't seen him for three decades. And he's like, Rob, you've done great. Wow, because, you know, like all the guys I went to school with, they look at me and think I've done really well for myself. Most of them are in a job and, hey, look, I'm not judging. I'm just saying they all look at me and go, oh, Rob, you've done well. And all I could talk about him, about all the pain I felt at school, and he said, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't really know. I can't really remember how fat you were. Really, you were that far. Just, we, we just thought you were Rob. You were all right. And all the pain I felt, they'd, they couldn't even remember it. So it's, it's crazy, isn't it, what you do in your, to yourself in your own head. And if you don't talk those things out, then they rattle around your head. A bit like your loneliness or lack of value. It just rattles around. And in the end, it's just a song that's just skipping on repeat. And then it just it's almost like becomes you. Yeah, absolutely. The bullies for me were what motivated me to work hard to be successful. Yeah. Because I needed to show them something. Yeah. You know, so when we left school at 16 and we all had our mopeds and stuff, yeah. it was like when we got our first cars and the first one to get a decent car, that was like, yeah, that, yeah I'm doing better than you. Yeah. Right? You know, that, that kind of small thing. And then I saw one of them probably seven or eight years later and he was just this kind of dweeb of a person. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no greater satisfaction that he was just this, because it, it was almost like I, I won that game in my mind. Yeah. 
Um, the bit that you talk about that I find really interesting, it's just like when people start their first day in a call center, isn't it? Mm. They think the whole office is staring at them. Yeah. They pick the phone up for yeah. the first time. And you're, all you do is you stand there and you think everyone's watching me. Mm. No one's kidding. No, no, they're, 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 they're doing, doing 60 calls yeah. a day, yeah. And, and it, it, it was just like that for you at school. It's just like worrying all the time what people think. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, you just talked about that um, proving people wrong. So Did you have any of that? Um, yeah, yes and no. That's another one of these beautiful paradoxes of life. Because on the end, on the one hand, it's really motivating to prove people wrong. On the other hand, it's a bit of a vacuous pursuit, isn't it? You know, your life is your life. You are who you are. And, and in a way, there's some sadness and emptiness and downside in, I'm not saying you are, just using that as an example, continually hitting metrics and checkpoints and results to prove people wrong. And a lot of motive, a lot, I, I am... I spent five hours with the founder of Grenade, Alan Barrett. Um, we had a great time. We went around his house. He's got a huge house. We had a great time. Got on really well. And he's just like, yeah, I just love proving people wrong. Yeah, I just love proving people wrong. Yeah, I love, just love proving people wrong. And that's quite common in entrepreneurs. But um, why do we need to do that? Like, you are you and I am me. And I, I'm sitting here enjoying getting to know you, enjoying how, whoever we've got following, actually thinking, you know, we've gone on our own journey. I, I can sense you don't want to be like me. I'm more than happy being me. I, I like, I'm inspired by the discussion that we're having. Who cares who gets the most downloads? Who cares who's got the bigger brand or who's worth all the most money? Because in this moment, I'm not thinking any of that. And I have thought that in the past. And it is motivating and it is probably why I was successful. So it's a, a paradox. So I think anything is like kryptonite. You know, it, it, it powers and it kills. So I think that life is about taking these paradoxes and just getting them nicely balanced. Hmm. You inspired me. There's a bit of me that is like, ah, oh, I should have done it. I should have started a podcast before you. Yeah. Not you, bastard, but me, the bastard, for not doing it. But you've inspired me now to do the podcast. Instead of saying, oh, I need to beat you, I need to have a better podcast. I've got loads of people who go around saying, we want to be bigger than progressive. Don't you? You shouldn't want to be bigger than progressive. That's a, that is a stupid pursuit because you're never going to be bigger than the biggest and you're never going to be more progressive than progressive. You should want to be you. Enough. But that's not good enough for people. No. And, and, and entrepreneurs, it's like we're always comparing ourselves to someone. Like I've got idols like Arnold Schwarzenegger and it's like, wow. And it's been so great in so many different areas of life. I've met the guy. I've spent quite a lot of time with the guy. He's a lot shorter than me. And I make it, I, he makes me look very tall Most on a photo. Yeah, they are. <laughs> also, he's, um, he's got quite a thinning hair because yeah. I saw, because I can look down and he dyes it or he did when I met him. And like, that just made me realise Arnold Schwarzenegger is a human being who dyes his hair because he doesn't want his hair to be grey. And that was quite liberating yeah. because I'd put him so far up there. Schwarzenegger has insecurities. Exactly. Yeah, I've, I know a billionaire who's buying Instagram likes. You're a billionaire. Why do you need to buy Instagram likes? There you go. But I wrestle with this myself, Spencer, which it sounds like you do to a, to a certain degree. So it's like, I, I want to spend time with you and I want you to, I want there to be some energy that motivates me to go and want to do something more. But down my lane, 
not looking over into yours. Yeah. And that's taken me a lot of time. But I don't, I don't really feel envy anymore. And if someone does something, I'll go, hat tip to you. You were better, you were first. Hat tip, I respect you. I'll probably even send you a message. But you can watch it because I'm on, I'm on your tail. But 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. It's only now. No, 20 years ago, it was, I hate you. Who the yeah. f are you? Who do you think you are? Look I'm at you. Yeah, look at you making money at people's expense. Look at you, think you some kind of guru. Or whatever. But that was hatred to myself. That wasn't hatred to them. I could sit and talk about this yeah. with you. Probably We've got a four hour drive back, haven't we? Yeah. You should be getting a... Oh, right. I'd l he might have another job, my driver. So, yeah. Should we call it a day? Yeah. It's been great fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Spencer. Thank so, much. so, Spencer Lodge Podcast, Disruptive Entrepreneur. Thanks for tuning in. And, um, yeah, maybe we'll do that again because that was, that was a 50-minute, 20 minutes. Oh, wow. And, yeah, we could have talked forever. So, it's great to finally meet you. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks so much. All right. Thank <laughs> you.